Father in heaven, we thank you so much again for the beautiful Sabbath. Thank you, God, that in your presence is mercy. And Lord, just as we are, we come to you to receive the grace that you offer to us. Father, we pray for this present blessing that you have. We ask that you would speak to our hearts and to our minds, that you would energize our souls. Father, we are praying for something special this morning. You've already blessed us abundantly. But Jesus, as we move onward and forward, we pray and ask that you would equip us. Especially we pray for the Holy Spirit to baptize us afresh now. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You know, it's very interesting. At the same moment that David Tank was making a remark about Pastor Keith, uh, Pastor Keith actually texted me the exact same moment. And uh, he says to me, he says, I'm at another church right now, and he says, boy, I really miss series. But God is good. Amen? And God calls us onward and forward. He calls us to keep going. And with the foundation that was laid already before us, we need to press on to the, to the hope of the second coming. Amen? And I'm really excited because just this last week, I've just been so blown away by how much is actually taking place in this church. God is doing awesome things, amen? I mean, we have a, a powerful health fair that's going to be coming up. We have an evangelistic series coming up, a prayer weekend's coming up. I mean, I just praise God for uh, the expansion of our church, but God calls us forward. He calls us to keep stepping forward to that day when he will return back. He calls us not to be idle in the work of God, but he calls us to be active and busy. Yet at the same time, he calls us away to spend time with him. Amen? And that's what's so awesome about Sabbath mornings. Just because it's beautiful, it's a time where you get to come together and you get to just sit at the feet of Jesus. And if you get a little sleepy at the feet of Jesus, it's okay to stretch. Amen? It's okay to stretch, then sleep in the church. So if you start falling asleep, I promise you, I will embarrass you in church. And so I'd rather have you stretching and looking a little Pentecostal than looking like you're sleeping. Okay? All right, very good. Now, does anybody remember where our verse was that Justin just read for us? Where is that found? First Peter, what? 2 9. Everyone, take your Bible. Let's go there rapidly. We're going to do a, a powerful Bible study. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. And when you're there, go ahead and say amen. 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 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. I'm almost there too. Now watch what the Bible says right here. This is Peter speaking, one of the disciples, one of the disciples who were closest to Jesus. And by the way, there were three who were close to Jesus. Do you remember their names? Peter, James, and John. You also note that these three disciples were always allowed into the inner precinct of Jesus. What's also remarkable about them, these three were the only ones who received new names from Jesus as well. And these were names based upon their character. Were they positive names or were they negative names? Well, they were positive, the fact that it came from Jesus, but they were describing a negative characteristic about the disciples. The word Peter means little rolling pebble. The name that was given to James and John means the sons of thunder, not because they were cool and mighty, but because they had anger issues. And it's very interesting to note that the way that Jesus dealt with these struggling disciples was to bring them closer. Now, this is Peter writing. Watch what Peter says right here. 
Verse 9, but you are a chosen what? Generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special what? His own special people. I love this. That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his what? Marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Now notice what Paul, Peter is saying right here. He is saying this, you are chosen that you may proclaim praises of him who called you out of darkness. I want to repeat that one more time. You are chosen that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness. You know, when I was younger, not many moons ago, we used to always play football at the park. And what's so remarkable about playing football at the park is that we played co-ed, and uh, it was just a, a, just a wonderful time where we just had a bunch of the teenagers, and we just play around, and we played tackle football. I grew up playing tackle football on the field. One time I actually got some, I saw somebody get tackled, and this is just a side note, and they got up, and they looked around, and all of a sudden they lifted up their thumb, and it was reversed, and then they ran off crying, and uh, anyway, so what I'm saying about this is this, when it came to tackle football, the way we would do this is, is we would divide up teams, and it was really awkward when you choose the two team captains, because the team captains would painfully have to choose certain people and reject others. I never forgot, one day there was a team captain and I, and I wanted to be on his team. He didn't choose me. In fact, I was the last one that was chosen. I made an effort that day to try to destroy the other team. <laughs> it's very interesting. This phrase or this word chosen, being chosen, you know, when I do youth ministry, for example, oftentimes I will come into a group, and a lot of people are intimidated by kids, just because kids tend to be very honest and very distracted at the same time. And uh, so what I'll do, this is just a, a tip, a secret, when it comes to youth ministry, in order to get the attention of all the youth in that group, in order to win the youth over, I will oftentimes find the most troublesome youth in that group. And I will choose him. And what happens is remarkable, is that when this youth is actually won over, you know what he does? He wins everybody else over. I have a phrase for that person, I call him the alpha gorilla. I will oftentimes look for an alpha gorilla in a group. In order to win the rest of the group, I will find the alpha gorilla. You know, the, the hard thing is, is that when these kids get bigger and bigger, you know, they start getting taller and taller, and, uh, it, you know, they're, they're a little less intimidated by you, and, but you have to do your best to win them over. But when you choose one, it's remarkable. You will see the rest want to be part of the game. So think about this for just a second. The purpose of being chosen is to lead others. Does that make sense, yes or no? And so what we're going to be doing, you're going to see something remarkable about the nation of Israel. Take your Bible, go to Exodus chapter 19. This is right after the children of Israel had just come out of this, this great deliverance from God. I mean, they saw the, 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 the waters part, and they made their way through 
with all their, their, their camels and their domesticated animals, they made their way through, and then when they get close to the mountain, the mountain of Sinai, when they're about to receive the law, God calls Moses up, and he said, Moses, I want you to say something to this new nation. Take your Bible, go to Exodus 19. Look at verse 3. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of what? Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I have did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and how I have brought you to what? Myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be to me a special treasure to above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. God tells Moses to tell the children of Israel, you guys will be a very special treasure, a chosen people. They were chosen by God himself. And that's such a, a remarkable thing when you realize this because the nation of Israel had been in slavery for hundreds of years. And when they came out, they weren't the best looking bunch. And God tells them, out of all the earth, out of all the people that are on earth, I've chosen this very small group of people this small, I've chosen you. And then he says, I'm going to bring you to myself and you shall be a special people above all nations. He even uses the word special treasure. In other words, when there's treasure, then there's special treasure. Now what's remarkable about this is read Deuteronomy chapter seven. I want you to see something else. Deuteronomy chapter seven. Deuteronomy chapter 7. And we're in the air. Go ahead and say amen. Take a good look at verse 6. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6. For you are a what? Holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has what? Chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. Now watch what he says in verse 7 to keep them humble. The Lord did not set his love on you, nor chose you because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all people. You know what I like to do sometimes when I'm playing basketball? I will choose the worst players in the group. It's no offense over here. <laughs> Listen to what I'm saying. I will choose the worst people in the group. You know why? Because it makes victory all so sweeter. Amen? Now watch what God just said to the Israelites. He says, look, I didn't choose you because you were the most. I chose you because you were the least. Now God looked at all the nations of, it, all the, nations of the world and he found the worst group. And he says, look, out of everybody else in the world, that's bad. Oh, this one right here. This group of people... I'm choosing them. And then he says, watch what I'll do. And so he's reminding the Israelites this. I didn't choose you because you were better than anybody else. I chose you because you were the worst. Now let's keep going. You're thinking to yourself, oh, there's hope for me. Good. All right. 
Look at verse 7. The Lord did not set his love on you nor chose you because you were more in number than any of the other people. For you were the least of all the peoples. But because the Lord loves you. God bases his choosing upon the nation of Israel not because of who they were, but because of who he was. And God loves to take the garbage of this world and turn it into something beautiful. And let's keep going. Because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out of, with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage and from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Therefore know that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. Folks, I want you to understand something. When God chose this group of people, he did something remarkable. He chose them because they weren't the best, but because they were the worst. And then he, he gave them his holy law. Because this people, above all other nations, would become the possessors of the beautiful character of God. A knowledge of who God really was in a world that was full of spiritual darkness. He chose this group of people. And he says, you guys are going to be possessors of my holy law. And you will share it with the entire world. What's very remarkable about this is that I actually was looking through the SDA Bible commentary. One of my friends, actually, another pastor, pointed out something very interesting. In the SDA Bible commentary, number four, there's actually six or seven blessings that were given to Israel. And these blessings were designed to attract all the other nations. And when these nations were attracted to Israel, Israel then could say, look, let us tell you, let us tell you about our God. God blessed them that they could bless others. They were won so that they can go win. They were saved so they can go save others. Amen? Now watch what this is. It's very interesting. I want you to notice these six or seven blessings that God had given to Israel that would be designed to attract the other nations. Here it is. Number one, they were given... Write this down. Holiness of character. Without this, the people of Israel would not be qualified to receive the material blessings God designed to bestow upon them. Without this, the many advantages would only result in harm to themselves and to others. God just said, I'm going, to, I'm going to make you a special people. I'm going to change your heart. Number one attraction that would lead the world to them was to give them holiness of character. Now watch the second thing. And you tell me if this sounds familiar. The blessings of health. Feebleness and disease were to disappear entirely from Israel as a result of strict adherence to healthful principles. People would say, wait a second. Something's different about you guys. You guys live 10 years longer than anybody else. You know what's very interesting about that is that Adventists do live 10, year longer, 10 years longer than anybody else, but when you become a pastor, you actually cut your life short by six years. So I gained four years. Third thing, here we go. Superior intellect. 
Cooperation with the natural laws of the body and mind will result in ever-increasing mental strength and the people of Israel would be blessed with vigor of intellect, keen discrimination, and sound judgment. They were to be far in advance of other nations in wisdom and understanding. They were to become a nation of intellectual geniuses and feebleness of mind would eventually have been unknown among them. By the way, did this take place? Tell me the person who it took place with. Solomon. Everyone was blown away by Solomon. And they said, we have heard about your wisdom and we came to check it out for yourself. Remember, this is the point. God blessed them so that they could attract the other nations. They were called to do outreach to the rest of the world. But you see, here's where the problem started. When God blessed them, they stopped right there. They would not go bless others. When God gave them blessings and prosperity, they stopped right there. They didn't want to fulfill the mission. Let's keep going. Skill in agriculture and animal husbandry. As the people cooperated with the directions God gave them in regard to the culture of the soil, the land would gradually be restored to Edenic fertility and beauty. Isaiah 51 verse 3. Think about this for just a second. Did you know God actually gave instructions to the nation of Israel about how to take care of the farmland, that every seven years they were to actually give a Sabbath to the land. And what this would do, this would actually bring restoration to the soil itself. What's remarkable about this is that when you look at the end of 2 Kings, you'll find out when the last pagan slash Jewish king actually died, the Bible says the land had rest. You see, nature itself was affected by the decisions and the sin of men. But had they cooperated with God, the very nation of Israel would have been this fertile, this, this type of garden of Eden in the midst of a corrupt world. And people would have said, there's something different about this rainforest. Had they cooperated with God. Let's keep going. Superior craftsmanship. The Hebrew people were to acquire wisdom and skill in all cunning work. That is a high degree of inventive genius and ability as artisans for the manufacture of all kinds of utensils and mechanical devices. Technical know-how would render products made in Israel superior to all, other, all others. The whole phrase made in Israel would be stamped upon their products. People would say, this, this stuff right here, this isn't made in India. This stuff is made in Israel. We need to find out where this comes from. Let's keep going. Number six, unparalleled prosperity. Obedience to the law of God would make them marvels of prosperity before the nations of this world, living witnesses to the greatness and majesty of God. Number seven, here's the last one. National greatness. National what? Greatness. As individuals and as a nation proposed to furnish the people of Israel with every fast facility for becoming the greatest nation on earth. He purposed to make them an honor to his name and a blessing to the nations around them. Folks, I want you to understand something. God blessed Israel over and over and over and over again because the purpose was to attract the world. And when the world would come to them and say, wait a, wait a second, tell us about what you're doing, Israel would then say, we'll tell you first about our God, the source of resources. Amen? But Israel failed. Big time Israel failed. They lost, listen to what I'm about to say, they lost sight 
of the mission. They lost sight of the mission. It no longer became a priority to the nation of Israel to try to reach out. By the way, you know what's very remarkable about this too? In studying the annals of history, what you will discover is that there were pagan kings during the time of the Old Testament, who lived around those times, who actually sent um, ambassadors to Israel to find out more about their God. And you know what took place? There was rejection. There would have been a lot more people who knew about God had Israel been faithful to the mission. Folks, this is where I'm going to drive the point home right now. And I'm praying the Lord will hold the sun still so we can say this. God has chosen you as his special people. The Seventh-day Adventist church has been chosen by God not because they're better than anybody else. For when God looked at you, he didn't see what you had, but what you did not have. Folks, the Seventh-day Adventist church has been chosen by God for such a time as this. God has blessed this church, this movement, with something powerful. He has blessed this church with a mission. And that mission is to proclaim the second coming of Jesus and to draw many people to understand the goodness and grace of God. But when the people became so self-centered and focused on their own selves, they forgot and they lost sight of the mission. And the very entity that God had raised up began to become corrupt. Folks, do not miss this point. We cannot lose sight of this mission. We cannot lose sight of the mission of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. The foundation of this church was built on preparing a people who will prepare the world for the second coming of Jesus. And when we're building this church, folks, we need to build it with the same material that was used in the foundation. Can you say amen to that? Folks, this is the time. This is the time that God has called, that God is calling the Seventh-day Adventist church. Do you know that in the spirit of prophecy, there are two phases of the church mentioned? How many phases? Two. You have what she describes as the church militant. The church what? Militant. militant. And then you have what's described as the church triumphant. The church what? Triumphant. triumphant. When someone says that word triumphant, what does that mean? Victory. When someone uses that word militant, what does that mean? You're in war. And what she describes as the Seventh-day Adventist church right now, that we are in the phase of church militant, but at the very end, one day we will be in the church triumphant. But here's the remarkable thing. Here's the most remarkable thing. Take your Bible, go to Revelation chapter 12. I want you to see something. Revelation chapter 12, verse 17. By the way, do you know that God has two churches? You hear what I just said? God actually has two churches right now. Now you're scratching your head and you're thinking to yourself, wait a second, I signed the baptismal thing and it said that there is just one remnant of God. I'm telling you, there's two churches. Do you want to know where the other church is? 
it's what's called the invisible church. And then you have what's called the visible church. Right now, you're in the visible church. When you said, I'm going to be part of the Seventh-day Adventist church movement, you signed up to be a part of God's visible, tangible church on earth. But God's invisible church is what Ellen White describes as the majority of the believers who are following God are in Babylon right now. God's invisible church is in Babylon right now. There are people who are sincerely seeking after the Lord Jesus. God has an invisible church, and then he has a visible church. But what's going to happen one day is that the visible and the invisible is going to combine. And God will have one people. Can you say amen to that? But I want you to notice something in Revelation chapter 12. Take a good look at this right now. Verse 17. And what you will find in verse 17 is something very interesting. When it comes to Lucifer, who? Lucifer, you will find no other verb attached to Lucifer as vicious, as intense as this word. In all the writings in scripture that deal with Satan, that deal with Lucifer and his actions towards God or his people or whatever represents God, you will never find a word as vicious as this word in description of Lucifer's action. Not throughout all of scripture. Watch this. Revelation chapter 12, verse 17. And the dragon was enraged. You will never find that word attached to Lucifer or Satan as intense as this verse right here. You find him being sometimes scared away. You find him sometimes leaving for a more opportune time. You will find him sometimes being uh, pushed away, but you will never find in all of Scripture where he's enraged. Not to say that he hasn't been enraged, but I want you to see the focal point of his attack. And the dragon was enraged with a woman and went to make war with the rest, or as it says in the King James, the remnant of her offspring who what? Who keep the commandments of God and have the, the testimony of Jesus. And by the way, that word enraged is the same word that's, it's the Greek word organzo, which also appears in Matthew chapter 5 when Jesus is describing what murder looks like. Now let me ask you a question. Who is he enraged with? I wish it was bingo. <laughs> Actually, I don't, but anyways. <laughs> Folks, don't miss this point. The reason why Israel fell, the first Israel fell, they fell under attack. The dragon was enraged with them. And I love what Ellen White says. She says something very remarkable. She says, when God's people don't do what they should be, the dragon is at peace. God's going to be doing big things this year. Amen? He's already doing big things. But prepare for big emergencies too. Prepare for trouble. Because when the spirit of God is moving in powerful ways, the spirit of Satan will move to counter that. Folks, do not forget this point, and it's so easy to forget this point, is that the dragon is enraged with those who are part of the remnant church of God. He's enraged with them. And he will stop at nothing except to see you out of this church. Do you hear what I just said? He will stop at nothing to see that you are no longer part of the remnant. 
And he has no boundaries. He will go to any length to see that you are no longer part of the Seventh-day Adventist church movement. He will stop at nothing. And this is the time when the boat and the waves start hitting the boat and it gets a little rocky. This is the time where some people said, you know what, it's time to abandon ship. Others will say, you know what, let's steer the ship away from its course. It shouldn't be going this way. And then you'll find some who don't even realize they're on the ship. And you're laughing. But I guarantee there's a lot of people here who don't even understand the remnant motif of Scripture. Folks, do you know to become a Seventh-day Adventist member of the church, you sign the baptismal card and the card says, I believe that the Seventh-day Adventist church is a remnant church of Bible prophecy. I know some people have a difficult time. The very fact that we actually like to study the Bible with people before they get baptized. Let me just talk about this for just a second. It is extremely important that people understand what they're getting into when they're coming into the church. It is very deceptive to think that it's okay for people just to get baptized and come into the church. Folks, I want you to think about this for just a second. We owe it to people that they ought to know what they're getting into before they come into this church. And so when someone says to me, oh, they just baptize people in the New Testament, folks, what you will find, many times when they baptize people, in fact, I look throughout all the scripture, I challenge somebody to find me a place in scripture where they did not teach or that person did not have prior knowledge of the Old Testament where they baptized them immediately. You say the Ethiopian eunuch. He was coming out of Jerusalem. He was already a convert of the Old Testament. He knew about the, the diet. He knew about the Sabbath. Cornelius was baptized. He was already a convert to Judaism. Folks, we owe it to people that they ought to be knowing what they're getting into before they join this movement. And I'm very convicted about it. I don't say a lot about that topic. But folks, I have to say this. It is extremely important that as people are coming to this church, the devil has his own people. You know what Ellen White says? It's very interesting. She talks about how the tares, when they're coming into the church, they're no different from anybody else. And that's scary. But we're not called to judge those people. Amen? We welcome all in. I hope the doors stay wide open for series this whole year. Because I want as many sinners in this church as possible. And there's going to be some troublesome sinners. There you are, but that's okay. Jesus will take care of them. Amen? Jesus will take care of them. Folks, this understanding about the remnant is so powerful. And when it comes to this church, I want you also to understand this point too. Is that if you're looking for trouble in the Seventh-day Adventist church, you will find it. You know, one time there was a story about this old man who sat at the, city, the city's entrance. And there he was, an old man, and he was blind, he had a stick. And this traveler came from afar, and he, coming from his city, and he was coming up to him, and he says, Sir, I'm about to go into the city, and what do you think about that? And the old man says, well, what was the city like where you came from? And the, old man, and the man said, well, it was a horrible city. There was a lot of bad people there. And I'll tell you this, I was very paranoid. I didn't like what was taking place over there. I just like, I need to get out of this city. And the old man said, oh, I want to warn you because you'll find the same thing in this city. There's a lot of trouble here. And the traveler says, thank you for warning me. And he takes off, doesn't go into that city. 
Another man shows up, comes up to them, and he says, he said, sir, I'm about to go into the city. Can you tell me what's in the city? And the old man said, well, what, what was it like in your city? And the man said, well, it was such an awesome place to be. There were good people there. They were just searching and hungering for what was right and what was true. And the old man said, ah, you'll find the exact same people in this city too. Here's the thing. If you come into this church looking for apostasy, I promise you will find it. If you're looking for a Jesuit infiltrator, you can suspect, suspect the pastor, too, if you want. That's okay. You'll probably find some evidence, I'm sure. His hand raising looks kind of Catholic right here. If you're looking for liberalism, so you can call it out by name, you'll find it here. If you're looking for ultra-conservatism, that borderline's calling the church Babylon, you'll find it here. You will find what you are looking for in this church. Folks, don't miss this point. We've got to come into the church looking for the truth of God. Looking for that blessing that God has for us this morning. The, the devil wants to distract you and make you think that the church is in apostasy. Folks, there's a big difference in saying that the church is in apostasy and the, there is apostasy in the church. There's a big difference. But a lot of people really want to come in there and they'll, be, they'll come in there and they'll be like, oh yeah, series, that church is too liberal. Or they'll come into series and they say, oh, that church, that's too conservative. I wish someone would have come into the church and say, that church, oh, it's too biblical. <laughs> I mean, David Tank, when he, when he starts finger-picking his guitar, that's really edgy, though. George's cooking, that's too good to be vegetarian. <laughs> Anel Sermons, I fall asleep. I wish someone would have come into this church and say, you know what? I'm blown away by the worship here. It's so lively. It's, 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 it's so consistent with scripture. It draws my heart to God. I want people to come in here and they say, I was so blessed by this sermon. It spoke to my heart. Folks, but a lot of people will come in and say, you know what? This is the worst place to be. I don't want to be here. But they still come here. I don't understand it. If you are drained of spiritual energy... If it is a horrible place for you to be Sabbath after Sabbath after Sabbath after Sabbath, if you don't like what's being said here, if you don't like the worship service here, folks, I have some good news for you, and I say this with tact and love. I'd like to invite you to the Turlock SDA Church. <laughs> I'd like to invite you to the Parkwood SDA Church, the Waterford SDA Church, the Oakdale SDA Church, Modesto Central Church, I invite you to be part of those worship services where you will be blessed. But there's no place like home. <laughs> Amen, church family? There's no place like home. And if you come here looking for a blessing, Sabbath after Sabbath, I promise you, you will walk away blessed by the Spirit of God. Can you say amen to that, church family? I'm going to share something very interesting as we're coming down to the end. Here it is. One day, there was one of my, one of my favorite Christian thinkers. He was, he was traveling to a lecture at a college, a university. And one of his, his tour guides said, we're going to stop right here. We're going to take you to um, a, what they call a postmodern building. And uh, this preacher was shaking, scratching his head. He's like, wait a second, a postmodern building? I know what postmodern art looks like. I know what postmodern literature, uh, I know what it looks like. I've read that. And he says, but I've never heard of a postmodern building. What does that look like? 
And the tour guide says this, well, the architect did not believe that life had any purpose or order or design, and so he wanted to create a building that had no purpose, no order, no design. And the preacher turns to him and says, but did he do the same with the foundation? You don't mess with the foundation of the church. You can't. The foundation by which our early pioneers had, had laid for this church, I want to repeat to you very simply in the time that remains. Number one, the scriptures. That is always going to be a foundation of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Can you say amen to that? That is a no-brainer right there. Number two, the second coming of Jesus Christ. Can you say amen to that? Adventists are not just people who know about the second coming, but people who love the second coming. Can you say amen to that? Number three, the teaching about the state of the dead. This is extremely important because we are warned there are two great heresies that will come our way, and it will be dealing with the state of the dead and the Sabbath. So we need to understand the times that we're living in. Number four is the Sabbath. Can you say amen to that? And I just apologize on behalf of anybody here who's ever made a a poor example about what the Seventh-day Adventist Church believes about the Sabbath. I just want to apologize on their behalf. The Sabbath was meant to be a beautiful day of rest and a day that you are unified to Jesus, that you are fellowshipping the church, that you are growing. I just want to apologize on behalf of anybody who's marred that example of Sabbath keeping to you. You know what God says to you today? It's time to try again. I also want to let you guys know that one of the elements in this dense understructure we call the foundation is the spirit of prophecy. Can you say amen to that? I fully believe and I affirm the writings of Ellen G. White because I have seen the fruit over and over again. She talked about health over a hundred and what? Close to 150 years ago and look where we're at now. The longest living people on earth. You're thinking, well, it's people in Loma Linda. Here's the thing, folks. I came across somebody today. It was actually not today. Excuse me. It was about a week ago. And I was going to Jamba Juice with one of my good friends. And he, starts, and he, start, he stops and he starts talking to this woman. And he starts sharing with her things about health. And I walk up there, as awkward as I usually am. And I stop right there and I said, hey, what are you guys talking about? And he says, well, I'm sharing with her. She had some, uh, actually some recent convictions about health. The verse 3 John has been coming to her over and over again that says, Beloved, I hope that you may prosper in all things in health just as your soul prospers. And she says, three times I've been convicted about my diet, convicted about my diet, convicted about my diet. And I said to her very awkwardly, as I normally do, I said, I said, by the way, do you know who are the longest living people on earth? And she said, who? And I go, the Adventists. She's like, Really? That's right. You guys are healthy. I say, yeah. And she's like, I want to know more about this stuff. I'm searching. I really feel God convicting my heart. Folks, the spirit of prophecy works. It works. That's that's what I say. It works. Jesus said, by their what, you shall know them. Fruits. He said, look, check it out. See if it works. It works. And now this woman is excited about coming to our health fair seminar. And what's awesome about this is that she was already being convicted about health. And here we are. God is purposely exalting the health message of our church like he did to Israel so that when people are seeing it, they're going to be like, I want to know more about this church. What is it that you guys are doing? 
I read an article that was by Huffington Post that talked about the, the, the America's fastest growing denomination. It's the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And the, the author writes back and he says, look, the reason why is because these people are following biblical principles of health. You know what the Bible says in Deuteronomy? It says that when people will see what's happening in the nation, they will say, what is it that you guys are doing and how did you become so wise and understanding of a people? And at that moment, that's when we're supposed to say, it's because of our God. And as people are drawn to this health message, as they say, wait, what is it that you guys are doing? We'll point them to the source of all health, Jesus Christ. Can you say amen to that? That is the purpose of the Seventh-day Adventist church movement. It is to make the teachings of God, to bring them out in their light, and to let the world be drawn into them. Can you say amen to that? And some people will say, wait a second, I don't like talking about that stuff. It's really weird. Folks, our teachings are unique. They are not weird. About 20 years ago, Seventh-day Adventists, there was a group of Seventh-day Adventists who used to call the teachings that we have in our church weird. You know the difference between weird and unique? Unique is positive, that's true. Unique is basically a, an aspect that someone possessed that's different, that, that it's really, it's, it's attractive. But weird is an is, is aspect that someone possesses that's different and that makes people feel awkward. Our teachings are unique. It is people that are weird. Can you say amen to that, church family? Our teachings are attractive. People want to know about them. They want to know what is it that you guys are doing. And this is prime time. This is the finest hour of Seventh-day Adventism. This is the time where we're to say, look, behold our God. This is the time. Can you say amen to that, church family? If there's ever a time in church history as important as this time, it is now. And God is calling you home again. God is calling you to be part of more than just a church, but a powerful movement of destiny. Can you say amen to that? Amen. You are chosen by God to lead others to Christ. Can you say amen to that? Father in heaven, we thank you that you are preparing a people who will prepare the world. And Lord, we want to be busy about your work, not caught up with the distractions of Satan. Lord, we know that he has no limit in what he'll do, but we thank you that the grace of God is offered to us in protection and empowerment of ministry. And Lord, we pray as we walk, down, walk out of this place, we walk out stir knowing that we have been called for such a time as this to prepare the world for the soon return of, of your son, Jesus. Lord, make us faithful. Make us faithful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.